So good, Brother Bobby. This is his last occasion here for this trip. Then we can look forward to the next one. Yeah, amen. We, he said, thank you for your faith. I'm looking forward to the next visit. Anybody else? Yeah, all right. All right. <laughs> Alan said tonight was a good night for a baptism, so we'll start with that in the pool. Except you can't do it twice, so it's just for newcomers. No. <laughs> I'm uh, praying the Lord holds our boat dock through the night, so... Yeah, yeah. we won't be singing any songs about Sunday River tonight. None of those tonight. Streams in the Desert, those songs, maybe we've sang those too many times here. I'm going to read you something really exciting from Galatians that I read. Uh, this came to me this morning, and I read this, and it was, it was exciting. It's a scripture you've never heard before. <laughs> this is Paul, of course. It says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. I am thankful tonight that we have opportunity to become new creatures. I can tell you that I need that. And there's much more to be said about that. But if you think about new, uh, that is a uh, expansive opportunity that is available to us every day, this evening. New creature is a whole, it's a whole new world. <clears throat> I'm tired of the old creature, I can tell you that. <laughs> I'm familiar with what that means and uh, the paths that takes. I am ready for new creature and, and uh, we want to take opportunity of that. We want to be aware of the provisions that are available to us. Uh, we want to be aware of the fact that there's an open door Every day, no matter how you feel, the Lord is constant in His offering to us uh, to, uh, for, uh, an opportunity for us to take advantage of the new creature that is available to us in Christ. That's where we're called to go. That's a lot to think about. Uh, but enter in tonight and, and consider uh, just, I was thinking about for me what, what the Lord is seeing where he's taking you, where he's taking me. Uh, his view is a lot different than mine, but I need that view. And I need to get rid of the old creature view. And thank you, Lord, for that opportunity. Uh, it's, there is, I'll say this, when you stop to move into that realm, it changes everything. The evening, it doesn't matter how hot or how smoky it is. All this stuff is just, it's, yep, we'll be complaining about the cold in uh, November, I promise you all. You'll be thinking, it's not possible that I was hot back in August. It doesn't matter, it comes and goes. The old creature is going to, there's just problems no matter which way you go. Hot, cold, it's never right. And the new creature, none of those things matter, and I'm thankful for that. So, let's gather and take opportunity to enter in, amen? All right. Praise the Lord. Always good to see everybody again. And, uh, like David said, you never know when it might be lost. But in the meantime, it's good. I appreciated the praise and worship tonight. Appreciated the songs. 
out of darkness into his marvelous light and there is no turning back. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Uh, flip open in your Bibles tonight to 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to be on the same theme as we were the other night. And can anybody tell me what the theme was? Light. Praise the Lord. And uh, what was light? Remember in the beginning God saw that the earth was form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Hallelujah. And God spoke. And there was. And what did he call the light? And what did he call the night? Or what did he call the darkness? <laughs> I answered my own question. <laughs> I mean, that's clever stuff. And of course, we... Uh, he said that in, in these two portions of Scripture, day is in capital letters and night is in capital letters. And what does that mean? It's something. Light is not something, but lightness is someone. If you do a... a just a slip through your Bible. You see there when John the Baptist came, and you see the same thing occurring. John came to bear witness of that was not that light, but he came to bear witness of that light. And guess what? It's a capital L. So we're not coming in contact with something. We're coming in contact with someone. Hallelujah. And that's why it's so important to keep the centrality of Christ as the central focus of our lives. And remember that we were in Ephesians. And remember what we said about Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3. is all about the wealth that you have in Christ. And the book is written to the faithful in Christ Jesus. So as you and I remain faithful in Christ Jesus, everything that's in there, hallelujah, is your possession. Oh, I'm going to say it again. Everything that's in there, as you as remain faithful in Christ, everything that's in Ephesians belongs to you. It can be your personal possession. And many of us realize tonight that God has given us an inheritance. And you can, you can use some of that inheritance. And again, your inheritance is not something. 
Okay, brothers, again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance. What is that inheritance? It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. What was that? Hallelujah. Yeah. So it's, it's an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, and it's reserved in heaven for you. Hallelujah. Here's a deep question for you. Guess who that you is? It's you. And if I don't identify that, I, neither will I recognize what belongs to me in Christ. And, and so, chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians is what belongs to you in Christ, the riches of Christ. Chapters 4 and 5 tells you how you can walk. Just do a little study on it sometime. It's a neat little study. But it tells you how you have to walk in order to maintain the wealth. And many of us know after you get wealth, it's a job keeping it. And of course, chapter 6 is the warfare that we're in in order to maintain the wealth and the walk. Because it does take warfare. And I don't want to remain in there tonight, but... It does take warfare. And I believe no matter how young or old we are in here tonight, everyone is facing that battle. And of course, Paul writes and he says, finally, brethren. And just read another few translations on that scripture. And what he's really saying is, I've really kept the best truth to the end. I've told you what you can have in Christ. I told you what belongs to you. I've told you how to walk to get it. I've told you that I'll strengthen you by his spirit in the inner man so that Christ can dwell in your heart by faith, rooted and grounded in love, comprehending with all saints the length, the breadth, the depth, and the height, and to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. I mean, what a, what a compaction of truth and wealth. And he said, but I've told you all of that. But here's the most important thing. Finally, Brent, here's the most important truth. Put on. Put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And we went through that last time we were together. But there's a raging battle on. And he says, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might and put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
So what was the first part of your armor? Was light. Remember we wrote in Romans chapter 13? Put on the armor of light. Cast off the works of darkness. Because we're standing between two great ages. The night is past spent. Can I just say tonight, the night is past spent. The day is at hand. Whether we understand it all or, or whatever, it, it's the timing. And of the timing, brethren, Paul said to the Thessalonians, he said, of the, of the times and the seasons, I've got no need to write unto you because you know perfectly. Come on, Whitestone. You know perfectly the hour we're standing in. And you know, he's going to appear. No matter what our opinions, our theologies, our ideologies, or whatever else comes with it. He's going to come. He's going to appear. I mean, there's nothing surer than that. He's going to appear, but who is he going to appear to? Him that look for him. Are you looking for him? Hallelujah. But he's going to appear, and this time he's not dealing with sin. Hello. And so light is the first part of our armor. What was the second part of our armor? Your band. She's probably been at four different meetings on it. The second part of your armor is righteousness. Because it tells you in Corinthians. Chapter 6 verse 7. It tells you there. Put on the armor of righteousness. And when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. And so righteousness is the second part of your armor. And then the third part of your armor is what I'm going to deal with tonight. I'm just going to share a few thoughts on the third part of your armor tonight. Because the armor of God is light, righteousness, and humility. And each of these garments, it says, pull on. It's a Greek word, NGO, and it just means to slip into, slip into a garment. Was Jesus Christ clothed with light? Because his life was sourced out of something else than himself. So was Jesus Christ clothed with light? Was Jesus Christ clothed with righteousness? I mean, Isaiah tells you, you know, for, for our sake tonight, Isaiah wrote and he says that he would clothe us with the garments of salvation. And he would cause us to wear the robe of righteousness. 
Do you know this amazing thing about God? He always starts you off in what He wants you to finish up. <laughs> I'm going to say that again. Because <laughs> that went down like a lead balloon. <laughs> Hallelujah. God always starts you off in what He intends you to finish up. Hallelujah. Does he expect us to finish up late? Or what was the first thing he did for you? Let there be. And to as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become. And to become something is the highest realm of it. That's why Jesus was able to say he was the light of the world and then he turned around to his disciples and said, oh, by the way, you're the light of the world. And he said, those who follow me will not walk in darkness at all. He said, there's no darkness in him. And so the first part of your armor is light. The second part of your armor is righteousness. And did he start you off in righteousness? Yeah, just take a look at Colossians 1 sometime. Verse 20 down to 25 or so. And he started you off in righteousness because there was a divine exchange took place. He who knew no sin. He became sin. But what was the reason behind it? That you and I might become the righteousness of God in Him. Look, our own righteousness is as filthy rags. And so, I just said all of that to say this. That God starts you off in what he intends you to be in the end. And so in Peter here, chapter 5, it says in verse 4, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And then he goes on and he makes this tremendous statement. In like manner, you younger submit yourself unto the elder, ye all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and he giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due season. And so he speaks about being clothed in humility. So he encourages us to put on light like a garment. 
He encourages us to be the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. And He encourages us to put on humility. I'm jumping ahead here. Was Jesus Christ clothed with light? I've asked the question already, but I'm asking it again. Was Jesus Christ clothed with light? Was Jesus Christ clothed with righteousness? Was Jesus Christ clothed in humility? So when you put on light, righteousness, and humility, what have you just done? We've just put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says, and you will not make provision for the flesh. So I need light as a weapon against darkness. I need righteousness as a weapon against self-righteousness and unrighteousness. It's the only weapon I've got against it. And I need humility, otherwise I'll be filled with pride. So my encouragement for you tonight is stay strong in the Lord and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a scripture in Amos, you don't have to turn there, but there's a scripture in Amos, and I think it's around chapter 9, but this is what it says. He has shown thee, O man, what is good. And here's a, a very important little line. And what does the Lord require of thee? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. So this is not something that the end time move of God is requiring from you. This is not something that the elders are requiring from you. This is not something that Whitestone is compelling you to be. But this is a requirement of God. I'm going to duck. So this is not somebody trying to transform you to something you're not. But this is something that is a requirement of God. So if I know it's a requirement of God, I can fully apply myself to it. There's another scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 8. You can check it out in your own time. But in Deuteronomy chapter 8, the children of Israel we're going to make a walk through the journey, a journey through the wilderness. And God took them into the wilderness. 
and, and he was going to do something to them and with them that couldn't be done in any other environment. So why did, I mean, from where they were to where they wanted to be was an 11 day journey. And it turned out a 40 year wandering. So you can either have an 11 day journey tonight or 40 years in the wilderness. Not much of a choice, but you got it. And so he took them into the wilderness with a specific purpose and reason behind it. Come on, you can talk to me tonight. Let me rephrase it. Why did God take his people through the wilderness instead of taking them on an 11 day journey? Humble them was number one. What was in their heart was number two. So he took them in there to humble them. To prove what was in their heart. And to show them by the manna dropping every day. By showing them that man does not live by bread alone. But every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That's why when the manna fell in the wilderness, the Bible says that the manna fell on the Jew. And the Jew, according to Deuteronomy, is the voice of God. So when they partook of that manna that fell on the Jew, when they partook of it, it was the word of God they were partaking of. And that's why they had to gather it every day. Twice on the sixth day, by the way. And that's the day we're in. And so he took them into the wilderness to humble them. Show them what was in their heart. To show them that man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You see, humility is freedom from pride and arrogance. And I know tonight I don't have to use that scripture in here. Hallelujah. But for us of us, for those of us are as in you. Humility is freedom from pride and arrogance. The opposite of humility is pride. And pride is that which puts its own individual rights first and is obligated to no one but themselves. And what it really is, is everybody else is wrong but me. I hope I'm talking to me tonight. 
But the opposite of humility is pride. Here's another one you should take on board. Humility is a deliverer. I mean, there are some very, very simple things in the principles of the kingdom of God that if I would do them, deliverance would automatically follow. I mean, and we've used it often and you've heard it often. If I walk in the Spirit, I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Very simple thing, but it does bring its own deliverance. Here's another one. Humility is a total surrender to the Father. Can I say it again? I'm going to say two of them again. Humility is a total surrender to the Father. And humility is a deliverer. Okay. Come, come on over with me to Chronicles. Two Chronicles. I think I'm going to look for chapter 32. Two Chronicles chapter 32. And just remember that little quote. Can somebody quote it for me? Humility is Hallelujah. I'll probably ask you that again. But humility is a deliverer. I won't ask for a short hands, but does anybody in here tonight need deliverance from pride and arrogance? I didn't think so. But if you do, you can lay hold of your own deliverance. But I, I, I was in deliverance ministry for many years when I was a pastor in Australia. But you know, we discovered that we were dealing with not the root of the problem, just the manifestation. And so many people in the body of Christ tonight are so busy dealing with the manifestation of it rather than dealing with the roots. And it didn't take us too long to much time to wake up things were not working out by laying hands every time on people they had to walk out their own deliverance and you can walk out your own deliverance tonight by identifying the enemy and then once you identify it you name it 
Okay, let me just jump back to Genesis. The Bible says in Genesis that Adam was there to have dominion and subdue. Is that correct? So he was to have dominion and to subdue. So when God brought the animals to Adam, he didn't tell him that's a lion. He didn't tell him that's a tiger or that's a chicken or that's a whatever. He didn't tell him. He gave Adam the right to name them. And when he gave Adam the right to name them, it was so that Adam, by naming them, would have dominion over them. I can let things slip in my life, but until I name it, I'm not talking about blabbing and grabbing tonight, saints. I'm talking about identifying the enemy. There's, a, there's another story in the Bible that's very familiar to that. And it's calling the king out of the caves. Remember the five kings in the time of Joshua? I knew you would. But remember the five kings that were in the cave. Joshua spoke to his mighty men and said, you name them and call them out of the cave. I don't know why I'm going down this track. But mighty men, he said, you call them out of the cave. And when you call them out of the cave, put your net, put your foot on the neck of your enemy. And when you put it there, I, Joshua, will come over and decapitate them. What does that mean for us in New Testament terminology? God has given you the right to identify the problem, identify the cave, in the, I mean the king in the cave, identify him and call him out of there and put your foot on the neck of your enemy and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to come and decapitate him. Because it's not until they're decapitated will you fully understand that you have power and dominion over your enemy. Hallelujah. I don't know about you tonight, but that's good news. But I've got to get involved with it. I'm not going to ask Fabian to turn around and call my kings out of the cave. No, I've got enough kings of my own to call out of the cave. Can I just give you the demonstration again? Put your foot on the neck of your enemy and call upon the Lord to decapitate it. And that's when you'll see that it's defeated. That's when you'll see the power. So humility is a deliverer. And here we have it here in, in the book of Chronicles and Oh, I'm just looking for a place to start. Let, let, let me just, for time's sake, let me just pick it up in, 
in verse 24 of 2 Chronicles 32. In those days did Hezekiah was sick unto death, and he prayed unto the Lord, and he spoke unto him, and he gave him a sign. But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him. For his heart was lifted up, therefore there was wrath upon him and upon Judah and Jerusalem. I'm going to read verse 26 if you're following me. In verse 26 it says this, Notwithstanding, I mean here, here's the situation and just to highlight it, the wrath of God is upon the nation. Hezekiah was filled with pride. His heart was lifted up and there was judgment upon Judah and Jerusalem. That's the picture. Notwithstanding, notwithstanding, Hezekiah humbled himself. Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord came not upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Hallelujah. You know what I think I can see in here? Judgment was upon this nation and God changed his mind. Hallelujah. Because something happened that God responded to. And God responded to the humility. And when he responded to the humility, hallelujah, Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord came not upon them in the days of Hezekiah. And, and you start reading down through that and begin to see how God poured upon them. An abundance that they had to, had to have special workforce to come in and make treasuries, make stalls for the horses, make provision for the provision that God poured into them. The abundance that God poured in. We have not because we ask not. Just look at verse 30 for time's sake. This same Hezekiah was also stopped. This same Hezekiah also stopped the upper water course of Gion. I don't know if you understand what that means tonight. But when the enemy came upon Hezekiah, remember Zacharab was calling on, on the walls to them to dishearten them. And all of that was going on at this particular time. And so what, what Hezekiah did was the water was outside of the city. And he redirected the water into the city. 
Come on, take your own experience. The water's always been out of the city until Jesus came. Then the water was in the city. Hallelujah. That's why the water is in you tonight. That's why I'm looking at the wells of salvation. That's why I'm drinking from the wells of salvation. Because you're one of the wells of salvation. Out of your innermost being is going to flow rivers of living water. Come on, that's not some time for the future. That's some time right now. That out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Hallelujah. That's why you've got the baptism in the Holy Ghost. But look what it says here in verse 30. The same Hezekiah also stopped the upper water course of Gihon. In other words, he stopped the people going out amongst the enemy in order to get the water and brought the water in so that they would not be exposed to the enemy getting the water. Oh, we love you, Lord. And he brought it straight down to the west side of the city of David. Hallelujah. And Hezekiah prospered in all his works. Hallelujah. I think sometimes because of the concept or the theology of the prosperity, we sometimes think we shouldn't prosper. But oh yeah, you should prosper. I'm not talking about a million dollars in the bank. Because that's, no, that's not any good to you in the day of battle. Not about provision. But he prospered. Hallelujah. And why did he prosper? Come on, God's response to humility. God's response to humility caused them to prosper. Hallelujah, Father. You know, you, you've got pictures of this again in Daniel. Remember Daniel chapter 4? Remember Nebuchadnezzar? I mean, was Babylon a, a beautiful city? Oh, yeah. The hanging walls of Babylon were one of the seven wonders of the world. And when Hezekiah, I mean, when Nebuchadnezzar went out there, he was taking a walk around and, and then all of a sudden out of his mouth flows, isn't this a wonderful Babylon that I've built? Can you just see what I've built? And the words weren't even out of his mouth. And God says, for your pride, it's taken from you. And you're going to be like a beast of the field until seven dispensations of time pass over you. And then Daniel starts speaking to his son Belshazzar in chapter 5. Remember the writing on the wall? Everybody could see the writing on the wall. I mean, to be quite truthful, and I don't want to be rude to anybody, 
but I'd have to be dumb, blind and stupid not to be able to see the writing on the wall. But only one could read it. And God's not interested in you and me seeing the writing on the wall. Somebody's going to read it. And you know what Daniel said to Belshazzar? You knew your father was filled with pride. You knew what happened to your father. And yet you did not humble yourself before me. And he lost his life that night. The Medes and the Persians came in and took over. Hallelujah. So don't just be interested in seeing the writing on the wall. Ask God for the ability to read it. Bless the Lord. See, humility produces wisdom. You find that in Proverbs 11. But humility produces wisdom. In Proverbs 22, 4, it says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Glory. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches. That's the riches of Christ. The honor of the Lord and the life of the Spirit. You know when David sinned against Bathsheba wrote Psalm 51 he was in a horrible place in a horrible condition God met him as he took a walk down through Psalm 51 which is a pattern of the tabernacle hallelujah well in case anybody doesn't know what I'm talking about it's a pattern of the tabernacle because the first thing David said was blot out my transgressions. He had, he had identified the enemy. And he says blot out my transgressions. That's the brazen altar. Wash me with hyssop. That's the labor. And go right down the walk that David had. And you'll pick up every piece of furniture in the tabernacle. And right at the end of it. It says David... A humble and a contrite heart. Hallelujah. A humble and a contrite heart. I will not despise. Hallelujah. In Proverbs 11, 2, it says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Hallelujah. You know, I, I, I did something when I was going through this. I, I did something that I've never done in my life before. I asked Google. <laughs> I joined the electronic church age. 
I, and you know, I, I was amazed. 48 references came up of the, the definition of humanity. I uh, not humanity, humility. Hallelujah. Can I read a couple of them to you tonight? I promise you I won't take much longer. I'm just looking for a landing spot. Hallelujah. Maybe somebody would do me a favor. It would save me turning to it. Go to Romans chapter 12 verse 3. And then somebody else go to Philippians 2, 2 and 3. I, I, I want you to read these verses. Romans 12, 3. Because here's, here's something that's a part of the evidence of humility working in the life of the believer. Romans Romans 12, 3. Hallelujah. Did everybody hear that? We shouldn't, we shouldn't be tied up. Just read that second line. According as God hath dealt to every man a measure of faith. No, the verse before that. Not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Not to think of themselves more highly than he ought to think. Just stop right there. Humility will always correct you. Never to think more of yourself than you ought to. You know where thinking more of yourself than you ought to comes from? Apart from coming from the pit. But it comes out of comparing yourself among yourself. And Paul said, that's not wise. Because if I compare myself among ourselves, I always come up quite good. But there is a plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. And everybody knows what the plumb line is. It always goes to the fulcrum point, Christ. And everything is measured from there. How do I line up with Christ, not with one another? So the minute that I think more of myself than I ought to, there's a little thing creeps in. And it's called pride. Now read, read me that third verse. Oh, you don't have it. The third, the third verse in Philippians. Philippians 2. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Hallelujah. See that word lowliness of mind there? In the Amplified Bible, guess what it translates out to? Humility. So don't let anything be done with vain glory, but with lowliness or humbleness of mind. 
Hallelujah. What's the rest of it say? Uh, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Hallelujah. See, humility will always help you look on the things of others so that you're interested more in the commitment of the corporate team rather than our own individual achievements. And humility will always keep you there. It will never let you break out. Well, I'm not like these guys down the road. I'm glad I'm in the right church. <laughs> Hallelujah. I think God is so wonderful. But one of the definitions of humility is recognizing your own shortcomings and limitations. I got to the place where I would never expect anything from anybody that the Lord had not anointed them for. I was a young pastor in Australia and I learned it real quick. Hallelujah. Never expect anything from anybody that the Lord has not anointed them for because they've got no ability to fulfill it outside of the anointing. Hallelujah. And humility will always let you get underneath your brother and lift him up. I know you know all of this. But I just want to see a functional part of the life of the believer. Okay. I'll just mention this one and move on. Humility is showing openness to learning from others. You know, I, I talk to a lot of people. But as soon as they say to me, I know that, counseling's over. Hallelujah. David, I'm looking for a landing spot here. Okay. Come on with me to James chapter 4. And keep your marker in Chronicles and we'll be back. Is this your normal church night? Oh. Because there was a scripture coming to me and Paul was preaching at midnight. One of the children in Australia one time asked their mum, what does it mean when Brother Bobby takes his watch off? And she says, absolutely nothing. <laughs> no, I'm on a job. But James chapter 4. 
Verse 6. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Come on, saints. That's not in there just for you and I to read it. Submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What a promise. God's response to humility. You know, I, I don't know how many meetings I've been in or many counseling meetings I've been in, and I've heard this scripture quoted, but only half of it gets quoted. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. No, he won't. There's something you have to do first. Submit yourself to God. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. And purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn. Weep and let the laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Verse 10. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. Hallelujah. I'm going to go back to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We already read some of this, but just jump right into verse 5. Oh, can I read verse 3 again? Let nothing be done through strife and vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man in his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And what kind of mind was in him? The only mind he had was to do the mind of the Father. The will of him that sent him. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. You could spend the rest of the night in here. But he made himself of no reputation. He took on him the form of a servant. Remember the song we used to sing? If you want to be great in the kingdom of God. Yeah, learn to be the servant of all. Made himself of no reputation. Took upon him the form of a servant was made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man. Come on, saints, what did he do? Hallelujah. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. 
Haven't we supposed to die daily? That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in these mortal bodies. Wherefore God also has highly exalted him, giving him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How did he get that name? How did he get that adjunction? How did he get to the right hand of the Father? Hallelujah. He humbled himself. You know, this is quite a big subject through the Bible. The Old Testament's full of it. Solomon spoke about it. Daniel spoke about it. David spoke about it. Paul spoke about it. James spoke about it. Peter spoke about it. So there must be something here that God requires. Hallelujah. In bringing to the place, hallelujah, that he got a name above every other name. At the name of Jesus. My oldest, my oldest child, she's 60 now. But when she was a little girl, about three years of age, she went into the cupboards and she brought out a, 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 you know, a, a can this size that had oven stripper in it. And she drank it. Hallelujah. She drank it. And we were just young Christians. I was at work. And so Kathy just laid hands on her, bound the paths of darkness, and in the name of Jesus, said, Lord, would you let her escape what she's just done? And she never had a problem. We cleaned the oven with it a couple of days later. Hallelujah. There's power in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Can I advise every parent in here? Don't be afraid to lay hands on your children. I would never have let my children go out of the house without praying for them and blessing them in the name of the Lord. How did he get that name? He got it because he humbled himself. And his whole, his whole life was sourced out of humbling himself under the mighty hand of God and God exalted him in due time. Hallelujah. And he's going to do the same with you and I. But you know what it's going to take? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and He will raise you up. Uh, 
Okay, let me ask you a question. And go to Isaiah chapter 57. Here's the question. Who does God, where does God dwell? Where does God dwell? And who's with him? Isaiah 57. Isaiah 57. Where does God dwell? And who does He dwell with? Verse 15. For thus saith the High and Lofty One, who inhabiteth eternity, whose name is Holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with Him also, who is of a contrite and humble spirit. And here's what he does. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Hallelujah. So who does God dwell with? Where does he dwell? And who does he dwell with? Hallelujah. The humble and contrite and humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and He will raise you up. Can you give me five more minutes and I'm going to close. And I've probably gone longer than I've gone. Hallelujah. God's going to revive the heart of the humble. He responds to them. Okay, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And this is a very familiar portion of Scripture. And normally, normally it's taken for prayer. And the Lord, verse 12, And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night. Isn't that what we're looking for? The appearing of the Lord. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night, and he said unto him, I have heard thy prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Hallelujah. I've got a little heading in my Bible here that I wrote. Prayer attracts the attention of God. And he's chosen the place for himself which is a house of sacrifice. New Testament, why is that? Takes you to Romans 12. And then he says in verse 13, if I shut up the heavens that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, this is what that is. Sin, barrenness, dryness, or demonic activity. It doesn't matter if my people... And this, this scripture is normally taken, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. And the prayer being the most important. But you know there's something more important than prayer in this scripture. That's if and then. Because if if doesn't happen, then's not going to take place. So the two most important words in here is if and then. 
You know, every time I see if it kind of makes it conditional to me. I always feel God's got a little requirement when he puts in if. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then, then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Hallelujah. But the most important thing there is the if and then and the humility. Look at the promise in verse 15. Now mine eyes shall be open and mine ears attentive unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now have I chosen and sanctified this house. I'm looking at the house. That my name may be there forever. The authority of the believer in the house. You know, there's a scripture in Samuel that says, What have you got in the house? And mine eyes and mine heart shall be there forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Turn to chapter 12. Here's another portion of Scripture. And again, just for time's sake, just let me jump to verse 5. This is when the, the king of Egypt was come against the people of Israel. He had them in captivity. And God speaks to his people and he says, You have chosen, you have forsaken me, and therefore have I also left you in the hand of Shisham. Verse 6. Wherefore, the princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves. And they said, The Lord is righteous. And when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, and the word of the Lord came to Shimei, that's the prophet, saying, they've humbled themselves. It looks as if he's entirely surprised. They've humbled themselves. Therefore, I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. Hallelujah. Do you know that deliverance could be used tonight for the right confession before your father and put on your armor because it is humility. It's called the armor of humility, the armor of submission and authority. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will raise you up. There may be some things tonight that you need a little deliverance from. And God is quite able and quite willing to do it and confirmed it in His Word. They have humbled themselves. My people have actually done what I asked them. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God 
and he will raise you up. And he says, but I will grant them some deliverance and my wrath shall not be poured out upon Jerusalem by the hand of the king of Egypt. Hallelujah. Wonderful Jesus. There's another scripture that says in, in King Josiah, and he said, you kept your heart tender towards me. And you humbled yourself before me. And I'm going to make sure. Hallelujah. I'm going to make sure that you're going to be raised up. And he was a little guy that took the throne at eight years of age. And by the time he was 26, hallelujah, he had cleansed the land. This land, come on, saints. So if you need something from God tonight, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He'll exalt himself. He will not allow that thing to be there. And here's what I want to encourage you in, in case I don't get here on Saturday. Here's what I want to encourage you. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might and put on the whole armor of God that you might stand against the wiles of the devil. Hallelujah. Oh, I so appreciate corporate prayer. But there are some things that you do standing before God absolutely on your own like Jacob absolutely on his own until your change comes hallelujah so put on the whole armor of God and the whole armor of God is light righteousness and humility and when you've done that you put on the Lord Jesus Christ hallelujah and you will have for every you will have every provision you need. In case you don't know where to find it, just check Proverbs chapter four. And Proverbs being a book that's written to the sons of God. And you'll discover that when you put on the whole armor of God, every part of your body from head to toe is covered by the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So can I encourage you? Stay strong in the Lord from the youngest to the oldest. Stay strong in the Lord and in the power of His might and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And having done all to stand, stand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that just simply means you're finished with one battle, but you're standing ready for the next one. Until we're completely free. Hallelujah. And there's a share of the king in the camp. Bless you, whoever's coming. I've appreciated being with you if I don't get here Saturday. Thank you for having us. And again, thank you for being our extended family. And the Lord bless you. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Bobby, very good. Very clear tonight. I like this. Um, 
emphasis on putting on, right? Something that God makes available for us to put on. Um, this righteousness, this humility, He's not going to force it on you. Uh, but it's something that we come before Him and say, Lord, I, I, need, I receive from you. And, uh, you know, that verse there in Philippians, if you notice, it says, let this mind. If you want to know what to think, it tells you right there, let this mind be in you. Right? Those are the thoughts. The thoughts of going before Him in full humility so that He can give us the deliverance uh, that we need. And uh, just, uh, just one verse here. Um, you know, Brother Bobby was talking about 40 years in the wilderness. We're a bit stubborn. I, I don't know if you caught that, but, you know, 11-day journey, right? And uh, it took him 40 years to get his point across. Um, and I was thinking of Job, too. You know, we have 42 chapters of dealings and dealings. Forgot to get to, to one thing. And, you know, it's right here in verse 6. You know, God deals with him and deals with him. And Job talks and reacts and listens. And, and then he brings him to the place where he says, Wherefore, this is Job now, right? Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And it was so. It was so that after the Lord had spoken these thick words unto him, and it goes on about the deliverance that God brought to him. Just what God did, the process that we're in, to bring us to that place where we say, I abhor myself. My view all of a sudden is not higher than, than my brother's. <laughs> Is not higher than, than, than what you think. And when we recognize that and truly humble ourselves before Him, then God is able to bring the deliverance that we need and that we've been asking for. You know, we can't get deliverance when we're moving in pride. He won't release that until we come before Him, as it was clearly said, and say, God, I need your help. Lead me, Lord. Then He's able to direct us. So very good, Brother Bobby. Thank you. It's great having you here. Appreciate that. Continuing to pray for Sister Kathy. Is she doing well? Better? Okay. You can continue to pray for her. There's also a request to pray for Fernando. Give him in prayer. Okay. We can do that. Remember him. Okay. No. All right. David Austin has a brain biopsy tomorrow. So keep him in prayer. All right. Well, Lord, we thank you for this evening. We thank you, Lord, for your presence and your spirit that is faithful, Lord. Thank you for your word. Lord, and we ask you to, to be with uh, Sister Kathy, Lord, continue to strengthen her. Lord, minister to her, Lord. Touch her, Father. Be with uh, David, Lord, for this uh, biopsy tomorrow, Lord, that you, you would direct uh, the doctors, Lord, and ask you, Lord, for your help, for your covering, Lord. Be with Fernando. Strengthen him, Lord. Lord, we know that you are able to Deliver him, Lord, to touch him, Lord, that you have a purpose in 
all that you do, Lord. And we do come before you tonight for all of us, all the other needs, Lord, uh, knowing that, that you're able to bring us to that place that you have called us to, Lord, and we ask that we would be able to recognize uh, your work in all of our lives, Father. Thank you for this evening. In your name we pray. Amen.